I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listen as my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Money Expresso. My guest today is the irrepressible Kathy Harrison. Kathy is the founder and CEO of the Verve Group of Companies. She tells me about her journey from having no money uh, being brought up as one of six children to a single mother to running a business of 70 people with ambitions for far more to come. Kathy's achievement by age 40 are, I believe, quite remarkable. She oozes grit and determination. From being a freelance paraplanner 13 years ago to now running four companies and one not-for-profit, Kathy is intent on changing the face of financial services. Coming from a background of scarcity, she speaks about her drive to control her own destiny and to make change happen. She has a beautifully evolved definition of real success. She also tells me about her desire for societal change around money and financial services and the kernel of an idea she has to change another fusty industry. Now, before we get going, I must just tell you that Kathy uses a few abbreviations as she speaks. So for those of you who are not familiar with financial services jargon, take a look at the show notes for an explanation. Now, let's get over to Kathy. Kathy, it's great to have you on Money Expresso today. Welcome. Thank you, Ruth. It's great to be here. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. Oh, look, I've got so many things I'd like to ask you about. So I'm just going to get jump in straight in there and ask you to just maybe tell me in a nutshell about your journey to founding and being the CEO of the Verve Group. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm going to condense of <laughs> years, I guess, into uh, a minute or two. Um, so my background is from university. I got I fell into finance, obviously, as everybody does. Um, started working as an administrator in an advice firm. From there, I did my qualifications, moved into a paraplanning role, and absolutely loved that. Um, from there, decided to kind of scratch an itch that I had of running my own business and basically set up a freelance or as a freelance paraplanner in two thousand and nine. Um, so thirteen years ago, and that was and still is currently parasols um kind of started growing parasols started hiring additional para planners to deal with the the demand that came through which was great um launched the grad scheme to help us actually grow parasols because there were so few para planners available out there to hire so we went down this route of growing our own in 2016 decided to do something about um compliance and the fact that it was such a negative industry and something that caused lots of tension in finance um, and set about building a Pricity compliance that got launched uh, in January 2018. And another itch that I had always had was, so we used the grad scheme to train up paraplanners internally in Verve, um, or what is now Verve and Parasols at the time, but there was still, I felt, a big gap in terms of the industry more generally around training people in practical skills. So yes, people can get their qualifications, but we all know it's, it's the training on how to do the job that matters. 
So in 2019, launched the Art of Finance, which was very much um, focused on that, on training people with the practical skills for their roles, and pulled those three companies together, Parasol, Apricity, and the Art of Finance, and uh, the, the Verve Group brand, um, and then Verve in itself has kind of built out from there and started offering additional services to advisors, and it just all feels like it keeps growing, arms and legs. So it was never... I guess when I went freelance 13 years ago, I, I did what most freelancers do of thinking, oh, I'll just work for myself and it'll be really flexible and I'll have loads <laughs> of holidays and do whatever hours I want. And then somehow it's 13 years later and I've got a group of companies and I'm just, you know, as everybody is, making it up every day. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm totally in awe of you, Cathy, to, to do that. I, you, you know, it's it's... You've just, you know, you've taken three minutes, which was was the brief. So thank you for that. Um, to do your nutshell, to tell me how you've grown from being a freelancer in two thousand and nine to having a company, I think of about seventy people uh, today. Seventy, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, like, firstly, I just want to say a huge congratulations because yeah. you know, for me, that's 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 total respect. Um, and I'm sure we'll come back and talk about that a little bit more. But I'm gonna. If you don't mind, I just would like to whiz back to your childhood. Now, um, one of the questions that I like to ask, which, you know, I think just gives us a bit of a grounding, was what was money like for you growing up? Mm. So over to you. Um, um, <laughs> um, well, I guess in a word, non-existent. Um, but yeah, there just was none. So I'm one of six children and um, my mum's a single parent and um, kind of grew up in a council estate, had absolutely no money, didn't have money for kind of school uniform, um, didn't always have money for food or electricity. Um, so yeah, just absolutely non-existent whatsoever. And kind of years and years later when I did... Um, a, it was like a leadership course, but it was all about kind of digging into yourself and the stuff that drives you and potentially the stuff that drives you to um be an entrepreneur um, and that was kind of one of the things that came out of it was that it wasn't I didn't fall into finance and I didn't have an itch to scratch to be my own um to run my own business the two were probably the um the outcome from growing up having no money and it was my way of almost manifesting needing that control in my life to make sure that future I would have money, so you know, financial services, and you obviously nothing about it. But that's probably why I was interested in it, and why I kind of fell into a career in it. Um, and then running, you know, going freelance or building my own business, it's always been driven by wanting that control of my own destiny, and it kind of not being in my hands as it was when I was younger. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I do think it's it's fascinating how how your early childhood experiences or memories of money massively shape the decisions that you make. You know. 30, 40, however many years later. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah, that thing for control, <clears throat> sorry, um, control and, and and the drive that, that comes with that, it, I, I find really interesting. And, and I, I, I attended a conference, uh, which was the very first Verve annual conference, the Evolution Conference. I think it was mm. last September, Cathy. It was, yes, yeah. And I saw you, I mean, it was a brilliant day, firstly. Um, and But at the end, you did this fantastic interview with Stephen Bartley. And, and for our listeners who don't know Stephen Bartley, you may know him as the latest dragon on Dragon's Den. Firstly, I've got two questions on that. Firstly, mm -hmm. how did that feel? 
Um, and secondly, you shared with Stephen, I think, your, uh, you, you shared truancy rates. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you see, I did my research. <laughs> um, so tell me, like, for, well, tell me, what was it like talking to Stephen? Were you nervous? Um, I think I'm... I think I was a little bit, but more because of the hype um, that other people had around him. Because actually I, and I think I said on the stage, I had started to read this book, but I genuinely ran out of time. Um, and I just don't ever have the time to watch television. So um, he was kind of, he was off my radar entirely. So hmm. and I had a quick chat with him in um, the green room <laughs> as we... <laughs> Handling <laughs> in the end of the cupboard upstairs beforehand and um, he was just really laid back and just said ask me anything I'm not bothered and then I just thought like that's fine I can do that I can absolutely work in that so um, I think I think if it was a famous person I knew of but even then I don't know who it would be yeah maybe I would have been more more nervous but mm-hmm. as it was it was just somebody who was um happy being interviewed and I knew would be a good interviewee because he's done it so much that so, yeah didn't feel too nervous yeah. um and yeah the truancy rate things that was um so I'm, I'm the second oldest of the six so I spent a lot of my childhood helping my mum raise my younger siblings yeah. and so a lot of the time I just I didn't go to school because I was at home um raising the kids and yeah my, my worst year was year nine which I think is when you're 14-ish mm-hmm. um, and my attendance was like 32, 33% over the whole year which yeah. is just, you know, now I've got a five-year-old and he's not well, today's his first day he's ever had sick um, at all and it's just, you know, how how the world's changed because I don't yeah. think he'd get away with that these days and yeah. yeah, God, blimey and yeah, it, it, it sounds like that that was a, as a tough grounding for you, Kathy, so I can see where all of this grit and determination that you you exhibit comes from um so you you started paracels uh, uh as a what one person uh in 2009 mm. um what what and, and now you're at 70 people and you told us about the companies that are within the verve group mm. what what have been the major uh, milestones in from a you know, did you ever have to hold your breath and go, right, okay, right, let's just do this next thing? Like, how, how, how did that, what were the big leaps that got you to 70? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think I've held my breath every day for the last 13 years. To be <laughs> I'm waiting for the day that I can actually release it. And um, there have been, yeah, probably a couple of big milestones. One was, we've moved offices quite a few times now, obviously, over the years, but there was a point we... We were in a business park, Lingfield Point, and they had a big, beautiful um, old building. It's a, an old woolen mill. And they had that was carved up into lots of smaller offices. And we had three separate offices in there. And each time we kind of went up a little bit bigger and up a little bit bigger. And it felt quite exciting. But on the same site, they had a separate building called the Beehive. Mm-hmm. And that was where you went from leasing an office, um, or like renting an office space with everything included, to leasing a space and the physical spaces were much much bigger and kind of the your contract changed and you almost had much more ownership and responsibility around um around the way the office worked it wasn't kind of this you know monthly lease of a serviced office um and even though we've moved since then into again substantially bigger offices i just remember that point of kind of crossing from one side of the business park to the other of being 
like oh my goodness look at the size of this and yeah. it was not long after I'd had um, my little boy so there's kind of pictures where I was going in and um, just look a bit bewildered by life generally as you are with a newborn yeah. and then also this kind of massive office space and there's people in, in carpets and workmen doing things for the walls <laughs> and just thinking oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um, and Nat who um, she hits up all our people and marketing um, stuff and has kind of split across those roles over the years um, she just was the one who had the conviction and just said, you know, we take this space and it feels like this huge space to fill. But if you take it, we'll fill it. Um, and sure enough, we did, we, you know, kind of outgrew it quite quickly and then had to move again. But yeah, there was very much that, um, not fear, but it was kind of, there's lots of exciting moments and there's lots of, you know, things that make it, like, as you say, take a breath. But there was just something extra about that where it felt like it was going up a level. Mm, yeah. Um, and then I think COVID obviously did the same again where... Um, a lot of businesses, I was included, we went into, you know, March 2020 with about 32, 33 staff. So actually, you know, we've more than doubled in, in the two years while going through a pandemic. So at the minute, what we're doing is, is catching our breath again and saying, oh my goodness, what's happened over the last two years? What do we need to do in terms of the business structure and our approach and our policies and everything like that to make sure that we are fit for purpose for a business that's twice as big as it was two years ago, but yeah. also fit for purpose for a business that's hopefully going to be, you know, substantially bigger again in another two years. Yes. Yeah. Gosh. I, I mean, to have doubled over that period is, is, is kind of crazy growth. And what, what, yeah. was, what was unique <laughs> about that time, Kathy? Apart from the fact you, you were at home, so you had nothing better to do other than yeah. business. <laughs> Yeah, what, what, were, were these all things that were bubbling away in the background that just kind of came to life at that point? Or um, I think, to be honest, so when, when it all kind of obviously March happened and the whole world just went, oh, fucking hell, what, you know, what's going on here? What's going mm. to happen? Um, and I think there was just something in me that immediately wanted to kind of um, come out fighting and just not be reactive, not sit and wait to see what a pandemic could do to the business. And but use it as an opportunity to to do something and to be really proactive. So I didn't want to furlough people if I could avoid it. Um, but obviously workloads dropped off, especially in the power planning advisors. It took a while to adapt to the online world. So when they weren't seeing clients, they didn't have power planning to send us. Um, but what I had was a team of really clever, capable people who also wanted to keep working. Nobody wanted to kind of sit on furlough and twiddle the fingers. Mm. So it just gave us this chance to kind of pivot the business and say, okay, we've, you know, all those things that we've spent years saying, if only we had a bit more time, we'd do this. If only we had the opportunity to, you know, reimagine suitability reports and make them interactive or bring in a virtual power planning service or all of these things. And now is the time, you know, now is that opportunity. And I think partly because of that, and then partly just because of the, rate of pace of which a lot of businesses grew out of the pandemic and kind of the you know, previous volumes just absolutely went through the roof once everything picked back up um we got straight back into recruiting as quickly as we could training people up as quickly as we could and we'd also made the decision to kind of pivot into more of a tech business as well so um a big part of the highs has been around the tech team so bit of a mix of everything mm. um and yeah it's kind of again it wasn't obviously it wasn't planned we didn't sit in March thinking oh in two years time we'll be double we thought you know hopefully we'll come out of this at least where we are at the, right now what we don't want is to be kind of knocked backwards but yeah it went the opposite <laughs> yeah and it I, I I recall and this must have been I think it was 
um, before COVID or it was in one of the COVID breaks, if I can put it thus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at a lunch with you with a, with, a, with a few other women and we were sitting around and we were talking about some of the perceived or real problems that we see within financial services. And we were, you know, chewing the cud about what we might do differently. And the thing is, Kathy, you don't just talk about things, you actually do things, which uh, is, is just incredible. And you uh, recently set up a foundation, a not-for-profit called We Are Change. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I'm just laughing because, and it really is um, a problem that I do do things like, as soon as there's as soon as there's an itch or an idea or something I absolutely can't sit on it and it's you know it's more of a problem for my, my poor team than me um but yeah and yeah absolutely I think obviously that the conversation that you're referring to that we had I've had you know similar conversations as I'm sure you have as I'm sure everybody in finance has for so many years around you know what's it look like the future of finance how are we going to get more people in people aren't choosing it as a career um, you know, this threat of advisors retiring, um, the already existing advice gap, how are we going to fill it? How are we going to do something different? And it's, you know, literally for a decade, I've had these conversations. Um, and then when COVID hit, one of the things that we, we had at the conference that you mentioned with Stephen Bartlett, obviously was previously booked in. Um, so we had it in 2021. It was originally booked sort of June 2020. And at that time, when before everything had kind of ground to a halt, one of the things I wanted to do at that conference was talk about the various challenges in finance, one of which is attraction talent. It's certainly not the only issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and use the conference as an opportunity to um, start to collaborate and to work together and to start to fix some of these things that everybody is talking about. Mm. Um, then COVID hit and we had to keep pushing our conference back. And in the October 2020... We did a live event um, instead, just kind of a live stream and a bit of an update. But this this concept of doing something and making a change was still there. And what I couldn't do in October, and um, when we were all still feeling very bruised and certainly didn't have kind of um, COVID behind us, was start saying to the advice community, "Come on, we need to do, we need to fix this problem and this problem and this problem," because everybody had so many problems themselves. But I also couldn't just keep not doing anything about it because then that was never going to fix it. So that's why the the decision was made to focus on just one issue, which was Mm -hmm. talent Mm -hmm. um, for now. (laughs) And and that's where kind of We Are Change came from. And my thinking, again, at the time, obviously the market's changed massively, but we as a, um, you know, the whole of the UK was facing this huge potential unemployment crisis. Nobody knew what was going to happen to retail staff. Nobody knew what was going to happen to um, staff in the hospitality industry. And what I thought was, if we always say people don't choose finance because, it, you know, they don't know about it or it doesn't seem exciting or glamorous, but if right now, as a country, no other industries are shouting up about their industry because they're all kind of bunkering down and trying to figure out how to get through COVID, then this is our chance. This is our chance to kind of make a splash and say, if you're looking, you know, at potentially losing your job, if you're sat on furlough, if it's give you the opportunity to reconsider, do I want just a job in a bar or do I want to get on a career path? You know, let's get finance out there and let's tell them about it, mm. um, which is great. But again, then where do they go? Because we can't promise them jobs. Again, we're 
in the middle of a pandemic, people aren't necessarily hiring. So with We Are Change, what I thought was we could attract people to a career in finance, we could set them up with their qualifications to do their diploma. We, through the art of finance, already had so much learning materials we could give them, um, face-to-face training to get them through their exams. The only cost of actually doing it was for individuals, um, the CII costs, basically, so the textbooks and the exam entry. And that's where we said to the advice community, we all know this is a problem. We all talk about it. Like, we'll do, we'll do it all. We'll do the work. We'll find the people. We'll train them up. We'll place them in roles. The only thing we can't do is physically pay for everybody's qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, can you kind of chip in and um, and help us? And, yeah, it's, um, it is getting there. It's, we've, I think we've done five cohorts now. So the sixth one is due next month in June. Mm-hmm. Um, so the very first cohort, they're now halfway through their diploma. Most of them have got jobs in finance. They are unbelievably grateful for the mm. opportunity. They work so, so hard on the qualifications. And I just think there'll be a real credit to finance. And I think they will actually be the change. They're the, they are this fresh yeah. wave of talent that's coming in and, and want to do something and want to have an impact. What a brilliant initiative. And Sorry, I, I get really excited. Thanks. Well, you should do, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's, um, it, it, you know, A, it's important that uh, the financial services, financial planning, financial advice community grows. As, as we know, we have a, an, an aging um, financial advisor challenge. I was going to use the word crisis, but backed <laughs> off from that. Um, and, you know, you know, we need to get younger people in because the truth of the matter is it is a brilliant career and profession for people if they can find the right places to land. Um, So, yeah, I, you know, I'm going to enjoy watching um, We Are Change uh, continue to grow. Um, Now, we're both two women in um, financial services and, in what is historically been a uh, career path industry um, predominantly dominated by by men. Um, How has your gender impacted your entrepreneurial career? Um, I think... (laughs) I think in the early days, it definitely did. in kind of some of the roles that I had previously, the advice firms were, um, and this is all pre-RDR and kind of what you would uh, imagine a traditional advice firm to be, and the advisors were all men and the support staff were all women, and that was very much expected and that was how it would be, um, and was part of the reason I kind of moved on from some of those roles. And then even when I kind of went freelance, initially a lot of the firms I was reaching out to to see if they needed some support, um were still very traditional were very um, would look at me as a young female and believe um, and occasionally rudely say you know how, how are you going to be able to help me you have no idea um and I think that in itself was part of the push to complete kind of all of the qualifications that I did at that point because it was almost um, and gen- I mean I'm saying it was it was like that then it still happens now so at the time I genuinely started to feel once I had the qualifications and I could say look I've got this amount of experience this amount of qualifications um don't you worry about my age like do you want help with your clients or not um and it kind of it did start to turn and I have for the most part not felt as hindered 
by it myself although obviously I guess that's the challenge with this sometimes um I could be getting hindered and I wouldn't know yeah um but then actually it was only it was only a couple of months ago that I sat in um in a meeting with an advisor and he was I think he was late 70s he was just absolutely refusing to um stop doing what he was doing um, and could barely could barely even look at me refused to call me by my name just referred to me as that girl what, what does that girl do um and I mean you know it's a, a different not that it's acceptable in any way but it's a different age and generation viewpoint yeah. entirely um but it is how it you know he, he was representative of how it used to be yeah I think what's amazing is there is genuinely such a massive shift in financial services yeah. especially over the last maybe five to seven years it's you know it has been phenomenal the change in conferences the change in people who you're talking to the change in the way people support each other online regardless of gender or age or background or anything so mm. yeah I think it's certainly not as problematic as it once was yeah and and um, yeah that, that's again a, a, a path that I'd like to see kind of con- we continue to move forward Absolutely. on and I saw you speak at a, uh, God, it sounds like you're always at conferences. Honestly, that's all I do. <laughs> it's, 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 walk this woman can talk. Um, <laughs> we're at a conference and you were talking about culture. Um, and it's something that I know when I had my own business, it was really important to me to create a workplace where I would want to work in myself. I suppose my question to you is, how do you feel that your own personal values have in- influenced your business and the culture that you're looking to create? Um, oh gosh, it's a good question because honestly, it's so, so difficult. It is mm. so hard because even when you feel like you've got it and it's working and you've, you've got this balance between culture, but also ultimately a business that works and does mm. the right service for clients and is profitable so that we can all continue to kind of keep this job. Um, things change, your, um, you know, the company structure might change, the size changes, what, what worked when you had five people, doesn't work at 25, doesn't work at 70. Mm. Um, so culture is, um, it's an easy word to band about. And I think, I imagine in that presentation, I'll have mentioned Nat in that, um, and obviously I've mentioned her already, because mm-hmm. she was genuinely the person who came in and said, at that time the team was small enough where I didn't actively think about culture, um, I was working so one-on-one with everybody around me that it was almost the culture happened by osmosis. It, you know, yeah. it was just there and it, and it was an extension of me and it absolutely was the kind of place that I wanted to work at. It was Nat that kind of made me step outside myself and say, okay, well, how do you make that the culture of the business, not just you, because as it grows, it can't, it can't, you can't physically be there with everybody. Um but again, the business that I want to work at isn't the business that everybody wants to work at. And you kind of realise as you grow in that it just becomes, it's almost like like dating in between your um, the business and what it stands for and the potential employee and what they want and neither right or wrong, but they just they don't always fit. Um, so it is, it's kind of an ever evolving process. And I think um, even now we're kind of, we're looking at it and I've spent the last weekend just gone, actually, I've spent literally thinking to myself now that we're at this stage now that we're at 17 I'm looking ahead to what comes next what are the bits that do fundamentally matter to me what are the bits I you know I won't ever budge from Um, and how do I put them in place that they're there for the team and um, I was looking at 
you know, people are great at saying things on social media, aren't they? And making it look mm. all rose tinted glasses. And there's this company talking about we're completely flexible and people only have to come in the office once a month in London, <laughs> but they can come in more and we've got dogs and we've got this and we've got that. And then when I looked at the company, they've got five employees and, and oh, it's goodness. fine. You can, yeah. you can have all of that when there's five. Yeah. Um, you know, it just doesn't work when there's 70. And on the flip side was um, actually Stephen Bartlett, who was at our conference. He's um, the one of the founders of Social Chain. And he'd done a post on LinkedIn. And again, I was like, you know, everybody else's company, they just seem to nail it. And he talks about flexibility and everybody sets their own holidays and they're in charge of their own development. And we trust our staff. But then I looked on Glassdoor and <laughs> the staff reviews are all saying, well, yeah, that's great. But we've got nobody giving us support. We've got who's in charge. Where's the structure? Mm. So I think it's a, it is a really interesting one. It's something I'm kind of focused on at the minute and um, probably going to do this week's newsletter on, to be honest, because it's yeah. kind of so much at the front of my mind. I think, I think for me, culture is, as you say, you need to decide, particularly if you're the, the founder and the owner, you need to decide what matters to you, what your business stands for, and then it's on other people to choose if that aligns with them and their values. Mm. Um, and then you just need to kind of try and stay true to it and not be distracted by everybody else's business and everybody else's cultures because you know there's always so much more behind the scenes than than what you see on social media there really is isn't there and and you know I I think values when they're done right they provide a fantastic framework through which you can start to make all of your decisions within the business Mm. um and and you you know this there seems to be this uh, you know at the end of the day as you uh you know you've alluded to People come to work um, because you are running a business that by its very nature needs to be profitable so everybody keeps their job. Mm. It is a commercial mm. entity. And, and, and I think sometimes it, it's getting that kind of right in inverted commas, commas contract, and I don't mean the, the mm. legal one, but you know, what will I as the Verth Group, or what will we do for you? But in return, what do we expect from you too? And it, it's finding mm. that that kind of the mutual agreement almost isn't it and uh, it is absolutely yeah. I think you know ideally I would love to go into um the team tomorrow because I do have genuinely an amazing bunch of people mm. and I would love to say to all of them um okay now you only have to work four hours a day and I'm going to double your salary like wouldn't that be amazing <laughs> yeah. but also you know we'd be out of business in a few months time yeah and again kind of the, the flip side is as verb we've never taken any external investment so I can't kind of throw money at people like I would if I say had a private equity backer but I also don't have to enforce things on those people that I would have to do if I had a private equity backer so you're right it's just this constant contract Mm. and and this push-pull and you you know you kind of you can't have everything in any Mm. kind of aspect of life I guess Mm. um but yeah it is and I do think I do think the, the point that we made a conscious decision around culture as you say and the values it does massively help align the things that you do, the decisions you need to make, the way you communicate with your team, the way that they all then communicate with clients. And it is a really important thing for any business owner, I think, of any size to kind of step back and do and not just kind of hope it happens by osmosis like I did for a long time. I think that's where we all start, don't we? Um, yeah. But fascinating conversation. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing how that how that evolves. And now, I, I often talk to people about what, about what does success look like? And I, I kind of like to just say, what does real success look like? What, what's that like for Kathy Harrison? 
Ooh, do you know what? I had um, I've got a journal and you know, run all the six minute diaries and you do three yeah. on the morning and three on an evening. And that's mm-hmm. the weekend that asked me what what did um, what did I see as success? I'm trying to remember what I wrote because <laughs> it was it was really surprisingly difficult to kind of to pin it down. Um because there is obviously a thing as humans, there is a financial driver and mm-hmm. as you know alluded to at the start of our chat, um definitely is for me as well in terms of kind of that security and kind of a little boy so not that I think money is a success but it's definitely um something that is on my mind for you know kind of growing the business and making sure that I've got that that security blanket for for me and Harrison as he grows up Mm. um and then it's really hard because I guess for a lot of people, success would be being able to retire, but I couldn't imagine anything worse <laughs> than really. stopping working. Yeah, I can agree. Um, and I think, I don't know, I don't know if it sounds, um, I don't know if I'm, you know, just asking for trouble by saying this. I kind of feel like things already are my definition of success in that I get up every day, I get to do a job that I love, I get to flex my hours so I do still work ridiculously hard but they because it's my business they can be whichever hours I need them to be so I'll happily work silly o'clock in the morning and silly o'clock at night and spend the time with my little boy in between Mm. so actually if there was anything that I would need to change about my life to consider it successful right now I'm not sure that there would be I guess it's um it's more about what else I can keep doing with Verb and the people that work within it I think that's going to be kind of my long-term measure of success Oh, I think that's great. And, you know, I I think it's, you know, again, it might sound a little bit cliche, but why should success be something that's happening in the future? The fact that it feels like it's happening for you today, I think is, is, is really, um, really inspiring. You know, that will evolve, I guess, as, as your life, your life changes and other things come along but um it's it's lovely to hear that albeit you I know you do work very hard that that you enjoy it and uh yeah, yeah long may that continue mm-hmm. what what drives you to continue to grow the verb group I mean you've said uh, that you couldn't imagine and couldn't bear the thought of of, of retirement but is that what the drive is because quite frankly you don't know what else to do or uh, is, is there something else <laughs> behind, behind I it I just start another business really wouldn't I I guess um <laughs> I guess the genuine is, I mean, all the, uh, hopefully kind of what um, comes across about Verve and about me is that the stuff that we say and that we do um, is very authentic. So when we talk about change through an initiative, it's not, it's not a PR piece or, you know, if we launch stuff to support advisors, it's not from a commercial um, perspective necessarily. It's, It's everything that we say around finance, about this genuine belief of, the impact it can have on people's lives, mm. but also being able to see all the barriers that are in place to those people currently. Um, and I, I do think Verve is in a position to help change that, to genuinely help push finance forward. And, you know, in the meantime, what you're getting to do is give people within finance careers and hopefully careers that they love and that kind of sets them up for life. But over the longer term, what we're hopefully doing is actually helping advice businesses run in such a way that they can advise more and more clients and they'll feel less um, scared about approaching an advisor or seeking advice or find finance less intimidating. Um, So everything that we're doing is all ultimately kind of driving towards that. And I think we're such a long way away from fixing everything and whether we could even fix everything in my working career is a different matter entirely. But 
I guess that's the driver. It's kind of nothing feels like anywhere close to a full stop yet. It's, you know, I'm probably on the first paragraph of quite a lengthy book. <laughs> sorry yeah, I, sorry I to all my team and we're just melting. <laughs> <any of> this. <laughs> but, you know, there, I think you're right. I think, you know, money is such a, an, uh, an, an hugely important factor in all of our lives and, uh, very often the messages and the way of dealing with money that we've all learned or we believe to be true, you know, are archaic and they're just no longer relevant for how we live our lives today or how can actually make people engage in a, in a, in a, in a kind of positive way to their own lives and the, and the wider society. So, you know, anything I think that we as a collective can be doing within financial services to help that change has got to be a good thing. And it's great to hear that the Verve Group are, are, uh, are well on it. What, if you can wave a magic wand, um, Kathy, what would be the one thing you would change in financial services? Oh, that was a great question. Um, I, I feel like I feel like the hindrance to a lot of advisors is the fear of regulation, mm. and I wouldn't change the wand. Of, uh, sorry, I wouldn't use the wand to change the regulation because I actually think my experience is that it's absolutely nowhere near as onerous as many advisors think it is and it is ultimately there for clients and to protect them albeit um it could be done better in in kind of a lot of instances but i think this fear of it and we talked to so many advisors who um they initially joined a network or they're in ar or they've been brought up and they're sat there saying you know this isn't it's not the business that i wanted it's not necessarily the outcome that i wanted for my clients but I'm so terrified of, of going on my own. And when I speak to other advisors who've got all size businesses, you know, really small businesses, really quirky ones, the other ones that have kind of bitten the bullet and grown, and you see um, their personality coming through because they're not restrained by, um, you know, which, whoever it is that's kind of regulating them or whichever um, entity they're part of. Um, they're the ones that you can see clients resonating with because then you know we've come they've come across a business or an advisor or an individual that represents them so that kind of I think the fear of the regulation drives a lot of advisors to what feels like a safe home but that in itself results in uniformity Mm -hmm. Um, whereas on the other side of it is those who aren't feared of it and shouldn't be and they get to bring their creative side to finance. And then that's where you start to see, you know, what could be a really, you know, we would talk about is finance an industry or a profession, mm. but even profession, it just makes you think of accountants and lawyers and gray suits. And mm. I actually, you know, personal finance is so personal and it's the ones that are kind of vibrant and colorful and you can just see the connections that they build with their clients. They're, they're the ones, if I had a, a wand, that the, the industry or professional, whatever you want to call it at that point, would be absolutely mm. full of. Yeah, uh, amen. I, I absolutely mm. agree with you. And the the fear of regula- regulation can be paralyzing. And, you know, it really absolutely. shouldn't be. You know, if, you, if you're doing the right thing for clients, telling people how it is, you know, not cutting down reams of trees to provide all the necessary paperwork, there's got to be a better way through this. Um, and, yeah, I... I sincerely hope to to see that day. Uh, you're probably more likely to than I am, though, Kathy. But <laughs> <laughs> now we're coming to the end of our um, chat today, and I 
I haven't asked you uh, one question I haven't asked you hmm. oh actually no we can weave this into I, I, I know you have a passion for wine um, <laughs> as, as a as a active and um a keen participator which um, I can I can totally agree with but I understand research that, research, <laughs> all research. research I understand you're kind of digging more deeply in into wine um so the question I like to ask is what's been your best buy that's been under 30 pound in the last year and why <laughs> uh, I just wonder whether there could be a bottle of wine that you uh, you well, might jump you to know what? maybe remind me that actually wasn't a bottle of wine but it was a good corkscrew oh, <laughs> <well>. <laughs> I actually find it really difficult to open bottles of wine and there is nothing worse than ruining one yes. um, by just mashing up the cork and, mm. um, and absolutely ruining it but um yeah I am I am taking it a bit more seriously and I'm doing my qualifications in it and I um, clearly have a bit of an obsession with starting businesses <laughs> and there might be one of those that's floating mm. around in the back of my head that um, as soon as I've got kind of a, a bit of a breathing space that I'd, I'd kind of like to get my teeth stuck into and uh, you know putting aside that it's wine and not finance it's a similar kind of driver I guess in something that I've got a passion for and something that I think um, other people might not get as involved in because of this kind of perception or this intimidation of it and mm. Um, I think I mentioned in one of my newsletters, one of the ladies I was talking to who runs a, a wine shop nearby, and she was saying she got into it for a very similar reason, that people see wine as being for, um, you know, we always say middle-aged men in grey suits. Hers was you know, 70-year-old men in tweed jackets. Um, <laughs> and it was a similar thing. She wanted to start kind of breaking down those barriers. And, it, yeah, it just got me thinking, you know, once, mm. once I've fixed finance, is there something I can do? And in the meantime, any wine I drink is just market research so market it's research. sensible market, yeah, market, yeah. <laughs> yeah you have to do it you have to do it and, and um, with the uh, learnings that you're doing have, have you got a uh, is the expression a good nose is that the right no um, it is the expression and no I haven't mm. like, I, <laughs> oh dear <laughs> I could never actually be a sommelier I've discovered because I'm very suggestible so if I if I you know try and kind of guess from um, the aroma of a wine any of the tastes I just get nothing. I get wine. I get, you know, maybe alcohol, <laughs> occasionally a tiny bit of lemon. And then somebody will come along and go, hmm, yes, I can smell marshmallow. And then immediately that's all I can smell is marshmallow. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's <laughs> mine's going to be more on, I think, the education side of it than actually going around and uh, oh. <laughs> sniffing it out. I remember when I've uh, been at a wine tasting once and somebody said, oh, yeah, definitely getting leather saddles. I thought. <laughs> <laughs> How can that be? Everybody wants to drink. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And finally, Kathy, I always like to leave our listeners with a, a money pearl of wisdom. And you're surrounded by things, money and finance. Um, what would be your pearl of wisdom that you would pass on that has either been useful for you or you observe and you think, yep, if you nail that, you're going to set yourself up well? Um. I I think it might be quite a basic one, but I, I think it's to not be afraid of it and of your own finances and to be very much kind of shining a light on them. Um, I've been guilty of this in the past of kind of not knowing exactly what I've got going on where and, you know, especially when I first left uni and I had credit cards and I had loans and um, took out a mortgage and then just sometimes kind of not having a really good handle on things and 
feeling overwhelmed or feeling intimidated by your own money mm. um and not even necessarily just debt like actually just not having a good grasp on what's coming in and what's going out month to month yeah. um because we're not educated about money in school although I know it's kind of starting to change but because we never were and it was always this kind of taboo um, mm. and it's not even a taboo between yourself and your friends but actually almost a taboo with yourself it's, you know it's almost like uh, many people just don't like to get stuck into the detail of it yeah but it's so empowering and you know it's there as an enabler for you and to live your life and the only way to harness it to do that is to actually know exactly what it is exactly what you've got exactly what you hope to have and as soon as you feel a bit in control and a bit empowered it helps you to make more decisions so yeah I think that would be kind of the the biggest thing is um not not being afraid of it love it great that's perfect and I think you're absolutely right understand about it understand your money what's coming in what's going out where you're spending it does it make sense yeah perfect I think uh that's a great piece of wisdom, Kathy. And um, buy a good corkscrew. <laughs> and buy a blooming good corkscrew. Absolutely. They're, you know, that's a given, isn't it? But um, oh, we could have chatted on for ages, Kathy, but I've loved our conversation. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Look forward to catching up with you again before too long for a bit more research. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Bye for now, Kathy. Bye. <laughs> Blimey, does Kathy ever sleep? What a woman. I love her energy and enthusiasm to make change. I particularly enjoyed her definition of success and recognizing the here and now. So many of us miss that. Now, before you go, let me tell me about my next guest, a wonderfully inspiring man called Nick Elston. Nick is a mental health advocate, inspirational speaker, and speaking coach. He talks really candidly about his own personal struggle with mental health and how he uses his own life experience to help lift others up. It's a beautiful, warm conversation and it's one you surely won't want to miss. I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye for now. So that's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. If you did, I'd really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast platform to subscribe, rate and review Money Expresso. This helps more people find the podcast so we can get more people thinking differently about their money and life. If you've got any thoughts, comments or questions on any of the matters discussed or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Now, of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is merely to share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you.